This is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Please read it with me. If not, I will read it. <laughs> is it up? What's that? Okay. That we do, that we do. All right. The word of the Lord. Let's read this together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And you know, it's interesting that even as I read that, this, this message this morning kind of highlights 10 what I call vital signs in the life of the church. And as we were reading that together, one stood out to me that I had not noticed. And so hopefully I'll remember to mention. If I get to the end and I haven't mentioned the 11th one, somebody flag me and I'll, I'll tell you. But I listened to a sermon this past week, and the sermon was prompted by somebody's repeated asking of the pastor this question, how's your church doing? Pastors get that question a lot. So how's your church doing? And it's a good question, and it is one that deserves more than a glib, off-the-cuff answer. If someone was to ask you, so, how's your church doing? What are the things that you would weigh as you considered your answer? The stereotypical criteria are what we sometimes call the three B's, bodies, buildings, and bucks, or the ABC's, attendance, buildings, and cash. That is, most people would say that a church is going well, that a church is doing well, if there is a healthy, preferably growing, Sunday morning attendance, if there is a great facility, and if there is you know, a building program to expand or improve the space, and if the budget is in good shape, if giving is strong and maybe even a surplus at the end of the year. And conversely, we say that things aren't going well in the church if there's no growth in attendance, or worse, if there's a decline, or if we don't have a very nice facility, whatever nice means, or if the budget is in trouble and we find that we have to keep reminding people to give to support the budget. Now certainly, attendance trends and budget considerations are signals that we need to pay attention to, no question. But when we put it kind of baldly in those terms, we think, well, of course those are not the criteria for determining whether a church is healthy or not, whether things are going well at a church or not. And yet, it is hard for us, isn't it, not to let those things determine for us how our church is doing. 
Let's think in different terms this morning. We are on our Sunday mornings together, now beginning to walk through the book of Acts. And again, Acts is about the progress of the word of God and the simultaneous growth of the church that inevitably accompanies the progress of the word of God. In Acts, Jesus told his disciples that they, empowered by the Holy Spirit, would be his witnesses. Again, in Jerusalem, I've mentioned this many times, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, the surrounding provinces, and to the end of the earth. And the book of Acts is the account of that witnessing to Jesus. The early chapters in Jerusalem, chapters 8 through 12, essentially in Judea and Samaria, and then from chapter 13 right to the end of the book, essentially to the end of the earth, to Rome, which was the capital of the, the empire. And the events that are recorded in Acts, and we will see this repeatedly as we move through the book, the events in Acts have this interplay between three agents, the Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the Christians themselves. That is, Christians preached the Word of God concerning Jesus, and lived lives empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and it changed their world forever. And we are here this morning because of what happened in the book of Acts, almost 2,000 years ago. Last, this is all review. Last week we were in Acts chapter 2 and Peter's sermon to the crowds on Pentecost Sunday. And if you were here last week, you remember that the thread of Peter's sermon was essentially five statements... The Lord God had said through the prophet Joel that he would one day pour out his Holy Spirit on people. The Lord God had also said through his prophet David that the Messiah, the Christ, would rise from the dead. Peter said that the 120 believers were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, therefore Jesus is the Christ. And then Peter testified that it was Jesus who had poured out the Holy Spirit, that the crowds were witnessing on that day, therefore Jesus is the Lord. And since Jesus is both Lord and Christ, forgiveness is attainable only through Jesus. That was Peter's whole sermon. And on hearing it, the crowds were convicted of heart. 3,000 people repented of their sins, were baptized, and became part of the faith community of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, think about that for a second. Imagine a church that grows from 120 to 3,000 people in a single day. I'm not sure what we would do if that happened. Certainly multiple services. And later, after that, because of the events about to follow in chapter 3, the number grows to 5,000. And so we ask the question, now how is that church doing? Hey, Peter, how are things going at your church? We have for us two descriptions of this fledgling church, both fairly short and very similar to each other. They're Acts 2, 42 to 47, which we have just read, and Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. And I'm actually going to read that for you. Now, the full number of those who believed were one in heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, 
for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. There's a lot of overlap between that description and the one that we read together in chapter 2. And what we see described for us in these two chapters, 2 and 4, is an active, growing community, impacting, deep, united. And we can learn something about the vital signs of such a church by looking at the church in Acts. And what I want to do today is walk through a bit of a checklist of what we see in these two chapters. This is our health checkup. This is our physical. And there are 10, 11, vital signs of a healthy church. And as we look at the Acts church, let's look for what we can affirm about what God is doing here and in our own lives. And also consider then what it is we need to be praying about, that God wants to do, that God is calling us toward. And you might want to pray through these 11 things over the next while, praying for our church. So, here we go, 10 slash 11 things present in the Church of Acts, vital signs of a healthy church. And the first one, I actually draw from chapter 4. Testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. And I mention this one first because it is the most important of them all. Chapter 4, verse 33. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now this has been for us already a theme in the book of Acts. We read in the very first verses of chapter 1 that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. The apostles needed to be certain that the crucified Jesus was alive because this would be their central declaration as his witnesses. When the apostle Matthias was chosen at the end of chapter 1, he was chosen so that he might become, in Peter's words, a witness with us to his resurrection. That was his job description as an apostle of Jesus Christ, to be a witness to the resurrection. And Peter's very first sermon, as we've just seen again, hinged upon the declaration that the 120 were witnesses to the fact that God had raised Jesus up from death. And as we also saw last week, and if you weren't here last week, thornhillbaptistchurch.com, the sermon is up there. It's, it's worth listening to from a biblical perspective. Whenever the apostles spoke, we saw this last week, they always spoke of Jesus' resurrection in chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and 10 and 13 and 17. Every time that they are talking to anyone about Jesus, they bring up the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. It is the living Jesus that the church always testifies to and points to. We are not a self-help organization. We are not an entertainment venue. Nor do we primarily provide moral instruction for your development. And if we are here, if you are here this morning to add to the religious dimension of your life or to get grounded in morality or to figure out what it means to be good or because you think that church involvement helps tip the scales in your favor... You miss it completely. 
We are here to know and to make known the living Jesus, the reigning, forgiving, living Son of God. We are the people of the risen Son of God. Jesus is the source, he is the content, he is the goal of all that we preach and talk about and do. And if ever we come to the place where Jesus himself moves off center, at that moment we stop being the church. We might be something else, we might even continue to meet, but as soon as Jesus is off the center, we stop being the church. We exist to know Christ and to make him known. And so the first and most important vital sign of a healthy church is this. Do we testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? That is, do we, by our proclamation, by our ministries, by our very lives, do we declare to the world and demonstrate to the world a living Jesus? We don't simply adhere to the spiritual teachings of a long-dead religious leader. But we are worshipers and followers of a living Lord, and we declare him, testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. That's the first vital sign. The second vital sign of a healthy church is devotion to Scripture. After the 3,000 believe and are baptized, we right away read of them that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? Well, it was their testimony concerning Jesus. So they taught the Old Testament, for Jesus had said to them earlier, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's Luke 24, 44. So the Old Testament is about Jesus. And it was in the context of the Old Testament that the apostles understood and interpreted the life and death of resurrection of Jesus. And their understanding of Jesus and the implication of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, they taught and then wrote down, and that is our New Testament. So the Old Testament and the New Testament constitutes the teaching of the apostles. It's the Bible, the living, active word of God, the inspired, sacred, authoritative word from God, and the followers of Jesus were devoted to it. That means they listened to the teaching. They learned. They ordered their lives under it. Now, I like this word, devoted. It's a different word than committed. Committed is an outward word. Devoted is a heart word. It's an attitude word that then leads to action. Both the committed person and the devoted person might do the same actions. But committed says, I have to and so I will. Devoted says, I get to. Committed says, I should. Devoted says, I want. Committed says, I'd better roll up my sleeves and be a good Christian by reading my Bible. Devoted says, there is life here. What a privilege that God has spoken and still speaks by his word. This feeds my soul. This teaches me truth. This helps me to live well. That's devotion to the scripture. And I want to ask us about our devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the scripture. 
And as I ask that, some of you, you won't be able to help it. Some of you hear me asking about our commitment to the scripture. That's not what I'm asking. Though sometimes the way to start fostering devotement is to start with commitment. But somebody might, be, might read the Bible every day and not be devoted to the scripture. You can be committed to the act of reading as if the act of reading itself has some spiritual merit and yet not be devoted to the scripture itself. Do we love the scripture? Do we let it shape us and form us? Do we let it shape our character, our values? Do we let it determine our actions? Does it hold a place of honor in our lives or just a place of obligation? The only way to keep a broken vessel full is to keep the faucet on. And devotion to scriptures brings us underneath the word of God constantly and consistently. And one of the signs that a church is a healthy church is that there is devotion to the scripture. And the flip side is also true. No church, no church is healthy where there is not devotion to the scripture, where the scripture is not taught and loved and lived under. Devotion to the scripture, a vital sign of health in a church. Number three, third vital sign, devotion to fellowship. Fellowship translates the Greek word koinonia, which is a much richer word than our English word fellowship. Koinonia is not a social word. Okay, they were not devoted to potlucks and games nights or even to hospitality, though I will get to that in a moment. Hospitality, not games nights. But this word koinonia, fellowship, has more the idea of partnership, a sense of we're in this together. Fellowship is being bonded together because of a commonly held, a commonly shared value. This fellowship is the kind that is shared by soldiers serving in the trenches together, risking their lives for each other. It's not having a nice time together. Fellowship is loving one another because we actually belong to one another. And the first church was devoted, not committed, devoted to this kind of fellowship. Commitment says... There's a function at the church. I better support it, so I'll go. Devoted says, this is my family. I love these people. Committed says, it's a sacrifice, but I'll give some money or some time to this need. Devoted says, there's sickness here. There's a need here that pains me. I'll do whatever I can to help and consider it a joy, not a sacrifice. It's the idea that Paul had in mind when he described the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12 and said this, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so one of the vital signs in a church that is healthy is devotion to one another, a devotion that expresses itself in various ways, one of which is, in conjunction with the fourth vital sign, devotion to the breaking of bread. This is an expression of fellowship, but a very particular one. The regular breaking of bread, that basically means that they ate together regularly. They were hospitable to one another and shared meals together. 
Now, hospitality, which is a bit of a lost art in our culture, was normal to them. They broke bread regularly with one another. But again, it wasn't purely a social hospitality. It was the hospitality of worship. And right from the earliest days in the life of the church, whenever they ate together, they would include as a part of the meal their memorial of the Last Supper. They would break bread and drink of the cup. And with the bread, they would remember the crucifixion and the suffering of the body of Jesus, which was beaten and whipped and nailed to the cross to bear the punishment for sin, the punishment that was rightly our own. And then drinking the wine, they would remember the Old Testament imagery of the blood of the sacrifices for sin. In Exodus 24, when, they, when the people were bound together in a covenant with God by the sprinkling of blood. And before his death, Jesus told his followers to eat the bread and drink the cup in his remembrance. And this way they would keep the death of Christ central. And so that's what they did. And by eating together and breaking the bread and drinking the cup together, they affirmed when they were together that it was Christ who bound them together. Again, that's much deeper than games nights and potluck dinners. It was a worship act in which they remembered that they were the people bound together by the reality of the death of Christ. The breaking of bread, that's the fourth vital sign. Number five. Devotion to the prayers. Now, we read the NIV translation earlier, and it said devoted to prayer. But it's plural. It's actually devotion to the prayers. And that's a distinction worth noting. See, in, the, in first century Judaism, there were set times for prayer. And the followers of Jesus thought of themselves as good Jews... And they rightly saw Jesus as the fulfillment and completion of the Jewish religion. And so as Christians, they did not abandon their faith heritage. They continued to attend the prayers. The very next chapter in Acts chapter 3 has Peter and John going to the temple at the time of prayer. Three in the afternoon. And here's, here's the point that strikes me here. Notice that among the first things the first Christians devoted themselves to were the observances of their religion. The breaking of bread, regular attendance at the temple, which I'll talk about in a bit, the prayers. It's, it's interesting for me to think that in our culture, in our day, we often think that we don't need to devote ourselves to the external observances that somehow that is too rigid, too formal. That our faith should just always be the spontaneous expression and passion of the heart. And yet we are devoted to external observances in almost every other facet of our life. We get up and go to bed at the same time every day, most of us. We eat at the same times. We brush our teeth, shave and shower. I mean, these things just keep us on track in terms of health and hygiene and work and family life. So why do we think that this does not apply to us spiritually? We often forsake the observances based on whether we feel like it or not. And so we don't read our Bibles and pray. We stay at home on Sunday mornings because it's my morning to sleep in or I was up too late last night or have to study for this or whatever. And then we wonder at our lack of spiritual vitality. 
We make the mistake of thinking that vitality and passion come first, and then we can give ourselves to prayer and to scripture and to worship. When in reality, it's almost always the reverse, that spiritual vitality and passion are cultivated when we prioritize the observances. And as we give ourselves to prayer and to scripture and to worship, then the spiritual life is watered and it grows. And the disciplines are often what carry us through the spiritually dry times. If right now, this morning, these days, you feel like God is far away and you don't know him, lean into the observances, not away from them. Some regimen of prayer is an essential part of a healthy experience of God and prayer. So when you don't feel like praying, continue to devote yourself then to the prayers. Your regular time of prayer, our corporate times of prayer, when they happen. Devotion to the prayers. Number six, evidence of the power of God. A sign of a healthy church. Verse 43 of chapter two, many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. Where the gospel was preached in Acts, there were signs and wonders. Signs, meaning that they were miracles that pointed to, which is what a sign does, pointed to the validity, the truth of what was being proclaimed. And those miracles were God's way of saying, there's power in what these apostles are teaching and in what they're doing. Oh, sorry. God's way of saying, there's power in what these apostles are doing. So consider also that there is divine power in what they are saying. Look at the miracles and then listen to what they're saying. And this link between the apostles preaching about Jesus and the presence of signs and wonders was understood by the apostles when they prayed this in chapter 4. Lord, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And we know what some of these signs and wonders were. In chapter 3, a man lame from birth is healed. In chapter 5, the sick are healed, demon-possessed or set free. In chapter 9, a dead woman is raised. You see this kind of thing in the book of Acts a lot, right up to the end. Now, there is a school of thought in churches today that says that miracles like this were done by the apostles who are not around anymore, and so we shouldn't expect to see this kind of thing. And I'm not convinced of that line of reasoning. I think God would love to heal and to do miracles in order to let the watching world know that the gospel of Jesus proclaimed by the, true, by the church is true. I think we just need to walk closely enough with God to be able to hear or sense him saying, I want to hear, heal this person. Speak it. Pray for it. But even apart from those kinds of miracles, where the church witnesses to the risen Jesus, there will be evidence of the power of God. Restored marriages, transformed lives, transformation from depression to joy, from anxiety to peace. You see integrity, you see how Christians face crisis, death or illness or job loss. 
Last year, a man was caught in the grip of addiction. This year, he has freedom. Here's a woman who is a young adult was starving herself because she weighed 120 pounds but thought she was fat. Now, too, she is free and has a healthy relationship with food. Here's a man who was the sourest, most negative guy at work, and now everyone around him sees the transformation of his character. In a culture that is starved for relationship and for love, the church becomes a place where genuine, deep love is experienced. These are signs and wonders. These are things that cause awe and are evidence of the power of God in people. These are the kinds of things that make people sit up and take notice and say, tell me more about this Jesus that you're proclaiming. And in any healthy church, in the community of Jesus, there will be evidences of God's power. There will be things that people can point to and say, that was God. And basically, to check for this vital sign, simply look at a church. Look at our church and ask, are people different? Are lives different because of Jesus? Evidence of the power of God. That's number six. Number seven, generosity. They sold stuff that belonged to them in order to meet each other's needs. This is mentioned in chapter two and four. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Chapter two. Chapter four, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. And this too, like hospitality, was an expression of their devotion to the fellowship. And this characterized the church. At the end of Acts chapter 11, the Christians of Antioch pool their resources to to care for the Christians who are suffering from famine in Jerusalem. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 of the Macedonian Christians who insisted that they participate in giving for the care of other Christians even though they themselves were poverty stricken. But see, when a church is all about Jesus and the people who make up the church are in awe that the God of heaven gave up his life to save them, Nobody thinks twice about giving the church a few hours, giving a few possessions or a few dollars to meet the need of someone. I don't need to eat out as often. I don't need to go to my weekly movie if it means you don't have enough food or can't make rent. And most of us are astonishing, astonishing, astonishingly wealthy by global standards. And we're even pretty well off by North American standards. It's not hard for us materially to share with those among us who are in need. And a healthy church doesn't need to be arm twisted into supporting one another. It's a natural, a spontaneous sign of health. And I was so gratified recently on a number of occasions when you heard of a need and quickly responded to give to it. It wasn't surprising, but it was gratifying. It's a sign of health. It's a sign of health in your souls, a sign of health in the church. Can you imagine a family 
where the wife and mother is starving while everyone else eats well. Where the dad refuses to let his 10-year-old son live in the house. Of course not. The church is a family. And healthy Christians, healthy churches are generous. They just, they just give to care for one another. Vital sign number eight. Regular corporate worship. Day by day, attending the temple together is what we read. And while they met in their homes for hospitality and in that context broke bread and worshipped in their remembrance of Jesus, they also engaged in the formal practices of worship. Okay, we've already seen that with specific reference to prayer. We too have created a formal practice of worship. Each Sunday, we come together in the morning to be together, to worship together, to sit under the teaching of the scriptures together. And so for many years in the history of the Christian church, attendance at Sunday morning worship was just a given. And in the latter decades of the 20th century, regular church attendance was defined as attending weekly. If you came every week, you were a regular attender. Now, when statisticians do their surveys and research, regular church attendance is defined as, any guesses, how much? Twice a month. Twice a month. So that, and, and attendance is going down, which means that we have, our churches in North America have fewer people, and the ones that are coming are coming less often. Now, I know very well that church attendance is not in itself a healthy thing. Okay, all too often, people can go to church every week and never deepen in character, never know Jesus better. And if it ever becomes about the church and not about Jesus, then regular church attendance actually probably causes harm. And so I'd, I'd be the last one to say, just come for the sake of coming. But I dream of our being a place where we all come each week because we wouldn't dream of missing. Because we love each other that much. Our encounters with Jesus together on Sunday morning are so life-transforming that Sunday mornings become the highlight of our week. Wouldn't it be great if our Sundays were such that we would all cut our holidays short by a day just to be sure that we were back here for Sunday morning? Now, we don't want slick services, but we do want to seek and encounter Jesus together every week. We do want Sundays where we know we're loved by one another, where our character gets formed, where our sins are confessed and our forgiveness affirmed, where our worship is joyful and our hunger for God's word is at once wedded and satisfied. Hebrews chapter 10 says, do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. The early church met daily in the temple. Their corporate worship together was such a necessary part of their public witness and their own growth. So, why not make a greater point of being here Sundays? Not from obligation, but from a joyful, a willing choice to be with God and to be with his people. I think that a sign of church health is when people attend because they want to attend. Vital sign number nine. 
favor with the public. This one really intrigues me. Acts 2.47 explicitly says that they had favor with all the people. Now, what does this mean? Does it mean that everyone around them affirmed everything that they stood for? No. They underwent some pretty aggressive persecution. And Acts 5.13 says that the other Jews didn't dare join them, but kept their distance. And yet, even then, the public held them in high esteem. Now, the church today, generally, in our culture, is not held in very high esteem. We don't enjoy everyone's favor. And I would suggest that that's mostly the fault of the church in our day. Now, the message that humanity is by nature sinful, under judgment, and needs to be reconciled to God by Jesus, will always carry offense. It just always will. But the church that not only believes in Jesus, but also believes in the things that Jesus believed in, will by necessity engage wholeheartedly in those things. Feeding the poor, fighting for justice, freeing the oppressed. And historically, where the church of Jesus Christ has gone, hospitals have sprung up, schools have sprung up. Christianity fights against the caste system in India. Christianity fights for children enslaved by the sex trade in Thailand. And, don't let's kid ourselves, in Canada. The church of Jesus cares for drug addicts, prostitutes, the homeless, the unemployed, the sick, the imprisoned. And where the word-centered, spirit-filled church that is all about Jesus exists, communities are transformed, lives are changed, and that kind of thing makes the world say, I may not believe in Jesus, but I'm sure glad the church is here doing what they're doing. That's why the Alberta government invites the mustard seed to consider setting up shop in various communities around the province because they respect the work that the seed is doing. That's why the town of Athabasca invites the Alliance Church to host a special service of worship this weekend, right, this morning, recognizing that the church adds value to a community that has great need after the fires that raged there recently. And I ask sometimes, does TBC enjoy favor with the people around us? Would this neighborhood care or notice if we shut down? It's a question that makes me uncomfortable to ask. Consider two churches in Calgary. There is a church that meets downtown that blasts the drop-in center with amplified Christian music and megaphone preaching from just off of their property, despite requests from the drop-in center not to do that. Now, how much credibility do you think that church has? What kind of impact are they having in the name of Jesus? Or consider our sister church, Grace Baptist, who feeds and clothes kids in the school across the street and who paint over graffiti in their neighborhood and collect people's junk in their community for disposal. Do you think that when they talk about Jesus that they might have more of a voice to the people around them? A vital sign for church health is this. Does the church, do we make a positive impact on our community? Do we enjoy favor in our neighborhood, the favor of the people?
And then vital sign number 10, fruit. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And no matter what else a church is doing, if there is not fruit being born, the church is not healthy. Their visible worship and fellowship and generosity, out of their devotion to scripture and prayer and proclamation of the living Jesus, the power of God was at work in Acts, not just in the working of signs and wonders and the transformation of lives, but in the very salvation of people. The thing that mattered, the thing that matters more than any other one thing in the world was being addressed. People were being forgiven of their sins and restored to relationship with God. And no church, we will never be able to say with integrity and credibility that we are healthy unless and until fruit is being born. People who do not know Jesus are coming to know Jesus. People who are far from God are joyfully surrendering their lives to him. People are experiencing the grace of God. Only then is a church healthy. And yet that is exactly the kind of thing that a church will see when it's devoted to scripture and to prayer. Devoted to one another. Devoted to worship and to generosity, all under the proclamation of the resurrected Lord Jesus. There will be favor with the public. And some of those public will say, I need what they have. Tell me more about this Jesus. So how is your church? How is my church doing? I'm so grateful to God for what I have the privilege of seeing here. These days, increasing love for the scripture, expressions of generosity where there is a need, evidence of God at work in the lives of people, and even fruit being born. See, I think God is beginning to trust us with people again. And we long to see more of what he wants to do. We long to be a community where God is saving people, changing people, glorifying his son Jesus by making him known to us and also through us. And we've just barely begun to be what God has in store for a church. But you know what? By his grace, we have begun again. And it's a great thing to be part of. And we pray that the vital signs will only strengthen and that our health will only improve as God continues to do his work here among us. I'm going to point out an 11th vital sign. And I don't know how I miss this one. In verse 46 of chapter 2, day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. A church is healthy when there is joy. And maybe that's the backwards way of saying it. Maybe where a church is healthy, there will be joy. It's one of the evidences of health in a church. And you can tell if a church is doing well, at least in part, if, whether, if there is joy among the people when we come together, joy interactions with each other. Oh Lord, let there be joy and gladness in our midst. Let's pray together.
Lord, this description of the church that we have just read in the book of Acts and talked about together came because your Holy Spirit was poured out with power and saved people. And where your spirit is present in your people, there will be joy and fruit and worship and prayer. Jesus will be talked about. Lives will be changed. There will be demonstrations of power. There will be love for one another and hospitality. And so, Holy Spirit, have your way among us as you glorify Jesus by our transformation. That's the long way of saying, Holy Spirit of God, lead us into greater health. For the glory of the Son of God, ultimately for the glory of God the Father. Have your way among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you go from here this morning, um, there's coffee in the foyer for you. We're going to try to do this all summer long.